over the last two Sundays, then, you've gotten to hear from two of our newest elders. Last week, Shizu preaching, and then Matt leading our communion. So be in prayer for our leaders as the Holy Spirit continues to work. It's exciting to see what God's doing in our church. We know it's for His glory. We know it's through the Spirit, and it's through the work of all of us as we're doing ministry together. Don't forget, pay attention to reading your current. There's a couple things coming up. The most current in the current is this Thursday, a new ministry of grief share will begin. Those of you who have lost a loved one or know someone who has and is looking for a small group, that'll begin this Thursday evening. Um, the Patokas are leading that. Then we have a newcomer's dinner, or not dinner, gathering uh, two Sundays from now on the 21st. So if you're new to the church, you just want to find out more about it, that's listed on here. So also those of you, you know we have so many kids, we need more helpers and workers. We have a kid safe training that's coming up on the 21st. This morning we're going to finish our doctrine series in this respect. There's two more doctrines that we haven't done, the church and the future. But we're going to finish this series for now. And next week we're going to start a series on the book of Numbers called War and Worship. As we go through the wilderness of our lives, we're to worship God and engage in spiritual war. So you can start reading Numbers, kind of go a little quicker the first few chapters. Don't get lost in the genealogies and go, I'm not going to read this long book of just name after name. But this morning we're going to finish our last um, portion at this point of the doctrine of salvation. Uh, we, we talked about that in quite detail a couple weeks ago. If you've missed any of these sermons, they're available online. I'm going to skip over just to remind you that the Bible teaches that there's this great work that God has done is saving us. It's organized and planned and purposed by God. He elected us. He called us. The Bible says everyone he predestined, he called. He made us alive and converted us so that we repented. When you got saved, if you are a Christian, you were converted. And when you were converted and you believed, the Bible says you were justified. This morning, we're just going to do two things. We're going to talk about adoption and sanctification. And then we're going to take a break and we'll pick this up after our series on numbers. So let's start by talking about the doctrine of adoption. But before we do that, let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can worship through the Lord's table. We can sing. We can fellowship with one another. And now we can hear from the word of God. Thank you so much for giving us God's word, the Bible. And Lord, we know that it's powerful to change us. And I pray that it will have a significant impact as we grow and apply scripture to our lives, may this church continue to grow strong, making disciples, reaching this lost world with the gospel of Christ. Father, not by might or power, but by your spirit, use your word to build your church. In Jesus' name, amen. If you don't have a Bible, we have plenty of extras. Just feel free to raise your hand. We encourage you to read the Bible. So the Bible tells us that when we become a Christian, God adopts us. There's this wrong-headed idea out there that all of the people of the world are God's children. So whenever something terrible happens, we join hands, which is great. We have a Coke together. We sing, we are the world in farm aid, and we call one another children of God. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that most of the world are not God's children. You're not automatically a child of God. Look what scripture says. Jesus came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Now, that's the Jews and perhaps all of creation. But as many as received him, to them, only to them he gave the right to become children of God. Now, for some of you, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I took communion. I received him. You don't receive Christ by taking a piece of bread in your mouth. 
receive the body of Christ, receive the body of Christ. It tells us to, to receive Christ is to believe in his name. It's to, it's to have this heart willingness to turn from sin and trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you've received Christ, God has not just pardoned you like a judge and said, don't ever come in my court again. He's adopted you and me as his children. And, and, and we need to think about that. When you talk to God, just remember, he loves you. He's a dear father. When you say heavenly father, John says, see how great a love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. So when you're talking, he's not just this scary, visible being up there. He's like, call me father because you're my child. That's how much I love you. You're like, well, I don't feel like I earned it. You didn't. It's by his grace. And, and, and two unbelievers are like, whoa, whoa, Tiger, you're getting a little too religious for me. Going to Bible study, going to church. What's going on with that? Well, the reason is, is because when we become children of God, we're in tune and connected to God, and they don't get it. Verse 2 says, for this reason, the world doesn't know us, because it didn't know him. Some of you have a spouse. They're like, I don't, I don't follow with this born-again stuff. Hey, brother, hey, sister, because they don't get it yet. But if you're a child of God, God's given us his spirit, and we cry, Abba, Father. And so you can call him Father, and I thank you that you'll never forsake me as your child. So that's all I want to say about that, because I want to get on to this doctrine, which is really something that's not talked about enough and is very, very central to the Christian faith, the doctrine of sanctification. That's a word that's used numerous times in the Bible, and if you're a Christian, this is essential that you understand how significant this is to God. So, the definition of sanctification is something like this. It's God's ongoing work with believers. It, it's something, it's not, it's not instantaneous, right? So, in other words, justification is an instant. You believe in Christ and you're declared righteous. But it's an ongoing work with believers in which God is making us more free from sin and more like Jesus, Okay? So it's unfortunate, a lot of churches in America are calling people to Christ in this fashion. Come just as you are. Come and receive God's free salvation. And then stay just as you are. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches is if I come to Christ and I receive his free gift of salvation, it will always be followed by this change in my life. Okay, so sanctification is a process. God is, is, is changing me from who I once was to who he wants me to be. Now, the fascinating thing about the word sanctification is in the New Testament, the same word is often translated holiness. It's the Greek word hagiosmos, okay? So, so Sometimes the Bible will just say pursue holiness. Sometimes it'll use the word sanctification. It's the same thing. Now, holiness to a lot of people is like, my grandpa was a holy man. He's sitting in his rocker all day and yell at us because it was a Sabbath and we weren't supposed to play. Right? Get that out of your mind. The idea of holiness or sanctification simply means that you're set apart for God. Okay? So when you become a Christian, God sanctifies us in our position. From the day you become a Christian, it's like there's all these people and God takes you out and he goes, okay, I'm setting you over here. Now you're one of mine, okay? So when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and they had a lot of problems. These weren't like a stellar church. He says, 
I'm writing to the church of God at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. You've been set apart for God. Now look what he calls them, saints. Those two words share the same root. It's the same idea. To the ones who have been hagiosmos, the hagios ones. To the ones who have been set apart, set apart ones, okay? So many of you come from a church background where saints was only reserved for the elite, the ones who did miracles and were so pious. The Bible says if you're a Christian, you're a saint. You're set apart for God. You're forgiven, and you're like, my husband's a saint. All Christians are saints, okay? So an analogy I usually use for this is those of you who had a mom who sewed, remember that mom's sewing scissors were set apart. And if she caught you cutting out your cardboard poster with those sewing scissors, it was not a good day for you, right? So in the same way, God takes believers and he says, look, now you're set apart and you're a holy one. You're a holy man. You're like, do I, a guru? No, you just belong to me now. You're forgiven, you're washed. Now you're set apart. So that's going to begin a process, okay? So what's that process look like? It's something where God not only says, now I've set you apart in your position, now in your practice, you're going to begin to live out what I have begun in you. But here's something that's really important. It's not optional. It's not like come and freely receive Christ's gift of salvation. And for those of you who are interested, you might want to also think about sanctification. That's, that's cool too. Here's a really interesting verse from Hebrews chapter 12. It says, pursue peace with all men. In other words, diligently try to keep peace with people. And the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. So pursue sanctification or you're not going to heaven. By the way, the King James Bible translates the word sanctification there, holiness. So in the King James, it says, pursue holiness. Somebody should write a book on that. Pastor John, has anyone done that? Oh, wait, yeah, Jerry Bridges, The Pursuit of Holiness. Now, the thing that's confusing about that verse is you're saying, but Pastor, you always tell us we're saved by grace. It's free, right? I don't do anything. So what do you mean I have to, like, pursue sanctification or I'm not going to go to heaven? Well, J.I. Packer, I think, said it really well. He goes, you don't get to heaven by pursuing sanctification. But no one goes to heaven without it. You're like, well, what do you mean? What he means is it's a natural and necessary byproduct of your conversion. Justification, being forgiven. So, so you go, you mean Christ will freely forgive me by grace? Yes. But if you are truly forgiven, it will set in motion this process where you will begin to pursue sanctification. Yesterday, I had a conversation with a young lady that I've been friends with for years, but I broached the subject. I said, listen, I want to ask you a question. Do you think God will let you into heaven? You know, she told me about her church background. She said, oh, yes, I'm a good person. So I said, could I share something with you? So you're my friend, but I'm going to tell you something. According to the Bible, you're not going to heaven. Right? If you think that you're going to heaven because you're a good person, don't get mad at me. According to the Bible, you're not going to heaven. And I said, and I hope that kind of 
maybe irritates you or makes you at least go, oh, that dumb ball guy doesn't know what he's talking about, or I should probably go back and read the Bible, okay? Because people don't go to heaven by being good. People go to heaven by being forgiven because Christ died. And so knowing that she had a religious background, I said, think about what you said. You're going to go to heaven because you're good. Why did Jesus die on the cross then if you're good? What have you just told God? That was a big waste. And she's like, wow, I need to think about that, and I hope she will. So God offers us this free salvation. You are forgiven. But once you are forgiven, he doesn't say come just as you are and stay just as you are. God loves you just as you are. He'll take murderers, twisted people, forgive you. But he he goes, I love you too much to leave you as you are. Now we're going to work on your sanctification. And so Paul uses an analogy. He says, now that your bodies are set apart for God, think of slavery. I'm speaking in human terms. Just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. In other words, every time I sin, I'm loaning my hands, my feet, my eyes, my heart, privates, whatever part of my body. Every time I sin, it's like I'm loaning my body to sin. It's an interesting way to think of it, right? So when you lie, you just loaned your tongue to sin. When you lust, you loaned your eyes to sin. When you're proud, you're loaning your spirit to sin. So Paul goes, just as you used to do that, and and the result was it just got worse. So now that you're forgiven and set apart for God, present your members to God as slaves of righteousness. So Lord, I want to use my hands for you now. I want to use my mind for you, my tongue for you. It's a journey, right? Because that, he says, results in sanctification, okay? So when we sing to the children, be careful, little hands, what you do, the idea there is God's working in me, and it's something I must pursue. Now, for some of you, you're like, I never even heard about this, okay? That's why you learn the word and you grow. So the word sanctification is sometimes translated holiness. I don't know why that went backwards. Let's try this. Oh, because I'm going backwards. How about that? <laughs> These computers, there's always something wrong with them. You ever notice how people always blame the computer? Our computer, no, sorry. Okay. So, you say, well, how do I do that? All right, I get it. I'm, I'm engaged. I, I know I'm saved, so I need to pursue sanctification. How do I do that? Well, I want you to think of it as having two aspects. The first one is more of what I would call a passive side, where you learn and you depend on God's provisions for our sanctification. In other words, I have a dog. If I want my dog to behave like a cat, that would be pretty cool to say, start being a cat, purr, eat tuna, you know, come and rub against me. You can't, right? And somebody go, I know, there's exceptions. But the point would be, I would have to change it, right? God doesn't just go, you sinners, now that I forgave you, become like Jesus. He goes, look, I have changed your heart, and I have made provisions for you, and I want you to learn what they are, And I want you to draw on them, okay? But at the same time, there are people who teach that sanctification is something that you just then, you go, okay, I just let go now. I just, it's Jesus in me. And I'm going, no, it's Jesus in you, it's Jesus and you. So there's an active side to it. So I came up with an illustration, and Pastor John already teased me. He goes, great job, Tom Clippart. You know, you're up to the 70s now. How about that? (laughs) For me, like, that's multimedia at its finest, right? That's about as far as I'm going to get. 
if it was Pastor John, I'd have like a boat sailing across. You know, I'm, okay, I'm in, the, I'm in the 70s. I'm moving in the right direction. So if you've ever tried to row a boat, if you only do one oar, you will just go in circles. And so as you think about becoming like Christ, some of you are just trying. I, Pastor, I read the Bible 20 chapters a day, but I, I still yell at my kids and my wife, right? So you need to learn more about the oar of dependence on God's provisions. For some of you, though, you don't do anything, right? It's like a young man said to me, he goes, isn't it true that I can only stop sinning if God helps me? Well, he hasn't helped me yet, so I'm not stopping. And I'm going, no, stop talking, right? So how do I balance this idea that as we've been studying this doctrine in how people change, I want to grow, I want to be like Christ. Well, first of all, let's reflect on God's provisions, okay? So just maybe jot these down and think about them. God says, I want you to become like Christ. But he says, I've given you the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, contrary to what some of you know, because you don't know me well enough, pastors do not just think about Sunday school, right? Pastors think impure thoughts about sex, and pastors have pride, and pastors get angry. Sinners are sinners, right? And all of us who are Christians have what the Bible calls desires of the flesh, There will never come a time in your Christian life where you won't want to do something that God doesn't want you to do. That's called the flesh. But the Bible says if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So God's going, look, I gave you my Holy Spirit, Tom. I'm not just asking you to work on your sanctification. I've given you this power within, this resource And you need to learn to pray and say, God, would you strengthen me by the power of the Holy Spirit? I pray this all the time for help and power from the Spirit. So as Paul was correcting the Thessalonians, because many of them were being immoral, he said, it's God's will for you to be sanctified and stop being immoral. So he said, God has not called us for impurity, but in in holiness. God's called us to grow and become holy. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man. So I could picture somebody say, Paul, I could sleep with whoever I want. I'm a Christian and I'm forgiven. That's none of your business. He goes, if you say that, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So think about that as you're trying to grow. Ask God, Lord, thank you for the Spirit. May the Spirit empower me in this area. I'm struggling with patience. I'm struggling with pride, whatever. The Spirit helps us. The second thing is thank God for the Bible. The Bible is God's instrument in sanctifying and changing us. If I'm going to become like Christ, it's not going to happen if you are not regularly in this book. Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, Father, they're not of the world as I'm not of the world. You're a child of God. You're not like unbelievers. So he prayed for you. Sanctify them, Father. Set them apart in holiness. Help them to become like me. How are you going to do that, Father? Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. This book is transformational. It's not just informational. And if you have not learned, for example, how to study the Bible for yourself, Pastor John's going to be teaching starting February 11th. Get on board there. There's already 25 people signed up, minding God's word. There's so many resources out there to learn how to interpret and apply the Bible and teach it to others. Some of you are like, Pastor, I can hardly find time to get into the Word. Exactly. And that needs to change. If you don't get into the Word and the Word doesn't get into you, 
you will not grow. But God has said, look, I've given you the word. The third resource, and think how significant this is, is God's given us other Christians. I know God wants me to be like Jesus, but I need other Christians. Even as a pastor, elders, we all need other Christians. Think about your progress as a Christian. If you are growing or have grown, how did other people contribute to that? I heard a guy one time say, give a man a Bible and send him in the woods and he'll become a Baptist. And I'm like, if you send him in the woods on his own, he'd be a heretic. We need other Christians, right? We need people who will be honest with us. The Bible says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, it's the body of Christ, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies. So how am I going to grow? By the proper working of each individual part. So when you're not involved in church, you're messing up the program here because your part can help people grow. It's not just coming and sitting for an hour. It causes the growth of the body. Think about how, for example, some of you are significantly impacted by the example of more mature Christians. That's important. If you don't have a mentor, find some people to look up to, to talk to, to mentor you, to to look at their example and their marriage and their character and their witness and their prayers, right? Think about how important it is to have someone in your life who will hold you accountable. This is why a lot of people don't want to be in a small group, because they don't want somebody to ask them about their marriage or their, their walk with God or their personal holiness or what they're struggling with or what what we can pray for one another, but, but you're hurting yourself if you won't allow other Christians into your life. We're all, you hear me say this every week, we're a hospital here. None of us has it all figured out. We're all perfect, right? We're struggling, and, and, and we grow. We pray for each other. We, we correct one another. We, we go after the wanderers, and, and, we, and we use our gifts. Think about how people came to you at a significant time in your life, and maybe... Maybe financially helped you. They had the gift of giving. Maybe they had the gift of encouragement, the gift of mercy. Taught you, prayed for you. And see, you can do that. You can have a part, not only in growing, but helping others to grow. And then God has also given us, now if he asked me, I would have said, can we just skip this one? I offered my consultation, and he said, thank you, Tom, but stop talking. Trials. This is one of God's provisions. He gives us painful circumstances, health issues, relationships, job, personal conflict, car troubles, trouble with kids, trouble with parents, trouble with the neighbors, difficulties. These things happen purposefully, not accidentally. God gives us trouble, and he says, I not only want you to, to realize what I'm doing, I want you to Rejoice about it. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. You're like, that sounds crazy. Why would I go, hey, how's it going? Great, man, I lost my job. Or great, my wife wants to leave me. Praise the Lord. No, no, no. These trials, Paul says, or or James says, they're testing your faith and they're producing endurance. Let it have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Many of you are going through trials right? Consider that these are not designed to hurt you, but to help you to grow, 
to change you. And we ought to thank God for that. And the last one's related to that, and that's another painful circumstance. My wife said, is that an oar? I'm like, it's discipline. It's the wooden spoon, right? <laughs> it's really interesting that the Bible teaches that this dynamic of God being our father is that he goes, okay, here's how I work as a father. My great concern for you is that you become holy. It's not your happiness. That's secondary. It's your holiness. Which means if you decide that you don't want to listen to dad, I'm not going to just go, my kid won't listen. I'm going to love you enough to step into your life and get your attention. So the Bible says, if you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate children. You're not sons of God. In other words, if you, if, if, if you call yourself a Christian, you live together, you go out and get drunk, you're a liar, thief, fornicator, you know, go on and on, proud, just never care about others, just self-centered, self-indulgent, and you don't feel any conviction, any discipline, any sense that your dad in heaven is, is, is weighing on you and, 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 and drawing you, then that's scary. The Bible says if you're without discipline, you're legitimate. He says, think about your own dad. We had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. You're like, really? Many people would have to say, no, I didn't. Should have. Although some of you had crazy dads, and I understand that. Don't elbow right now. Shall we not be subject to the father of spirits and lived? So when my dad one time hit me in the head with a phone, which I deserved it. That wasn't the right way to discipline, but I was smart, Alec. He disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good. Here's why. That we may share his sanctification. You get it? I've had people literally say to me, I'm getting a divorce because I'm not happy and God doesn't want me to be not happy. And I go, which verse in the Bible says that? He disciplines us that we may share his holiness. Not just our happiness. Now, holiness leads to happiness. And I'm not downplaying the fact that there may be some biblical reasons for divorce. But this whole idea that God's up there just going, I want you to be happy. I want you to be holy. I want you to live your life for me and allow me to use you and bless you and transform you. But if you don't, God goes, I'm taking you to the woodshed. And all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. When David was convicted of his adulterous relationship he said god day and night your hand was heavy upon me my vitality was drained away let the bones which you have broken be healed restore to me the joy of your salvation david was under deep conviction of sin and sometimes that spanking from god will go so far as to 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 take away your health first corinthians 11 some of you are weak and sick paul says some people he's taken away their life they still go to heaven he took away david's child because you have sinned against the Lord, the baby will die. God cares about our holiness. You go, well, if bad things are happening, Pastor Tom, how do I know if he's just giving me a trial or if he's giving me discipline? I just know bad things are happening in my life. Well, here's what I try to use as a gauge. Job was the most righteous man on the earth. He walked close with God, and God gave him lots of trials, Right? So if you're going through trials, just stop and reflect a little bit. 
has God been trying to get my attention about sin in my life? Right? God's not some mad scientist who's like, I'll spank you, now figure it out. It rarely begins with discipline. It begins with his gentle urging through the Holy Spirit. Hey, you're, you're not listening. You're not following. You've lost your way. You're going the wrong way. And God will speak to your heart through his word, through others. But if you continue to reject his speaking, then he steps in and he starts spanking. And that's where, if you are going through a painful time right now and you know that you've been sinning clearly and you don't want to repent of it, then you should probably figure, right now God is disciplining me. And you have two choices. The Bible says, do not despise the discipline of the Lord. You can either get better by submitting or you can get bitter and fight against God and say, I'm not doing it. And I assure you, you will lose every time. So the Bible says, to those who have been trained by God's discipline, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Parents, keep training your children, especially little ones. It's frustrating. I correct them over and over again. And sometimes I feel like we're getting nowhere. Discipline them. Many of you, after you discipline your children in love, then you pray with them. You simply want them to come to a place where they understand that being submissive to mom and dad is how I obey God, and this is how I will be blessed in life. As scripture says, children, obey your your parents. Honor your father and mother. So Paul says afterward, or whoever wrote this, author Hebrews, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. What a place to be is when you're surrendered to God and and you actually go, I'm glad I have a dad who loves me. People have said that when they're teenagers. Man, I'm glad my parents, they buy me weed and let me do whatever I want. But then when they get older, right, and the other kid goes, I am so glad my parents love me too much to indulge and just say, oh, do whatever you want, Billy. And that's the way God is. He loves us. And he is so concerned about my walk with him that he's not going to just go, figure it out or just do what you want. I'll see you when I come back. What a provision, what a blessing. So God's going, look, I've given you these provisions. That's my word. Depend on me. Trust. But then he says, no, I want you to be diligent. Here's your part. Sanctification, he says, pursue it. Go after it. Go get it. So the first thing the Bible says is discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Well, what would that look like? Well, that's going to take effort. <clears throat> Christ is in me. He's like, all right, now get up and do something. So when Peter wrote to to these converts and, and they were being led away into sinful lifestyles by false teachers, he said, for this very reason, apply diligence in your faith. There are too many people who say, oh yeah, I received Christ, right? Well, that's, that's the starting point. Praise God, you're saved. Now, with all diligence, begin to work on these specific areas like moral excellence, Right? This, this virtue of being honest and sincere and trying to be pure and, 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 and be sincere before God. Pursue that. How about knowledge? Pursue and supply knowledge. Ah, I don't like to read. I'd rather just watch TV and have amusement, which means to not think. Ah, muse, not think, right? God says if you're a Christian, grow in your knowledge. Read. If you hate reading, then listen to blogs or 
or podcasts or listen to scripture. Get into studies. Come to, come to this Riverstone Institute. Learn how to mine God's word. There's tremendous tools. We've got books back there. We've got people and Bible studies. But grow in your knowledge. How about self-control? Oh, man, I don't know why I ate that second pie. I just, I don't know. And I can never get up in the morning. The Spirit of God gives self-control. You don't always have to have the last word or yell at the kids or whatever. This is a journey. But I have to say, God, help me. I want to supply self-control, perseverance. I'm not going to that church anymore. I'm not going to that study anymore. I'm not going, I'm not doing that anymore. I just quit, right? No, you grow in that, in godliness and brotherly kindness and this beautiful crowning virtue of Christian love where you are, as Shizu reminded us last week, engaged in loving and praying for and serving one another. So the aura of our side is God's going, look, let's practice some of these habits. So I want to be very specific. Here's some things that you can do to say, if God says, if you're saved, grow in your sanctification, become like Christ. These are some habits. Ongoing confession of sin and repentance. When you know you've sinned, repent and confess it to God then. And seek to turn away from it. And sometimes that means I have to confess it to the person I sinned against. I'm sorry, I apologize. That's just a habit that Jesus says, forgive us our, our sin, Father, as we forgive others. It's, it's this ongoing process. We're always going to be needing confession and repentance. And then regular church attendance. Some, this morning I said, there's going to be a lot of people that didn't come because it's cold, right? Now, I get it if you have a health condition. The problem is the person said to me, why are you preaching to us about that? We're here. But in case you're listening online. The book of Proverbs says, the sluggard didn't go to work because it was cold outside. Not going to church because it's cold? Come on. I get it if you've got a baby or you're elderly or you're sick. But just because it's cold? The Bible says, do not forsake assembling yourselves together. Church isn't just a, a consumer buffet for you to come when there's nothing else to do. If I'm pursuing Christ, I'm in this for you, Jesus. You died for the church. And I want to be there. I don't have time to pray. Oh, that's okay. No, it's not. Grab yourself by the neck and say, I'm going to sit down and, and learn how to pray. I don't know how to pray. Two minutes into it, I don't know how to pray. We'll learn how to pray. God is so interested in helping you to grow. This isn't legalism, just try, try, try. God's spirit dwells in you. There are books and people who can help you to learn how to pray. Ask your wife, say, honey, how about if we just take a minute to pray? Right? Ask your children. They're not going to jump up and down. Can we pray more? No, we're going to learn. Right? Bible reading, fellowship, gathering with other Christians. What's going on? Not just having a piece of pie, but, hey, how can I pray for you? Service to Christ. Like, like if you come every week, are you doing anything here? Are you doing anything out there in the world where you're serving the Lord? Worship, giving, these are disciplines. These are the way that I say, thank you, Lord, for loving me. Stir my heart. So, what am I going to do about this? Well, thanks, Pastor. I learned about the theology. What's that big word, sanctification? No, we're going to go somewhere with this. God told us to pursue sanctification. So number one, as you leave this morning, let's, let's, let's keep the big picture in mind. Keep your focus on Christ and his gospel, not our past and present failures. The idea here is not to just go away going, 
I'm such a failure and I'm a loser. Pastor Tom was right. I should just go jump off a bridge. No. Paul said to the, to the Corinthians, don't you know that the unrighteous shall inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous drunkards, they're not going to heaven because they haven't been saved. But that's not how you should view yourself. God loves sinners and saves sinners, self-righteous sinners, religious sinners, non-religious sinners. But once he saves them, he doesn't want you to view yourself as just a sinner. He says, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. So view yourself that way. You are forgiven, set apart. Forget about the past. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, I press on. Christ lives in you. God has already planted holiness within you, and it's now being lived out. So keep your focus on Christ and your relationship with him and the gospel. So, so by God's grace, make your relationship with Christ your greatest priority. You don't work for your salvation. It's a free gift. But look at Philippians 2. Just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. You don't work for your salvation. You work out your salvation. You pursue God and Jesus. And if you don't, you don't care. You're like, what? And it's not just a when the football season's over. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Your relationship with Christ is the most important thing. No matter what has to be shaken up and changed. And thank God, he's your coach and he's your biggest fan. He's up there going, look, your salvation and your sanctification is so important. I'm constantly working in you. I give you the desire. I'll give you the power right now. He's speaking to many of your hearts and he's stirring you. You're going, yes, thank you, Father. I'm so glad that tomorrow morning when I wake up, Jesus is there and he's working in me to give me a desire to grow and follow him. But I have to make it a priority. Fear and trembling is not a hobby. And then seek to be balanced. Okay, let's not go to the extreme. I'm going to go home and every day I'm going to read 50 chapters and study the Bible and come to 12 Bible studies. Okay, we all know that it's not just try harder. Okay? So for some of you, you are trying. You're like, Pastor, I try to apply the Bible, but I don't even get home. I'm screaming at the kids. I'm mad. I'm blah, blah, blah. Okay. Then, then, then think about trusting more. Okay, God, I need your spirit to help me here. I need to just rely on others and, and, and the fact that you are at work in me. But for some of you, you're like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm saved. I raised my hand. I'm good. But you're not trying. You're like, oh, I, I just don't have time to be with the Lord. Yeah, you do. You have 168 hours this week. If we watch the film, God would show you places you could have done something different to be with the Lord, right? So just, just try to keep this in balance. We've just gone through a study of how people change. Continue to think about these things and pray for the growth of the church. Fourth, set apart some goals for practicing habits of grace. How about this starting point, baptism? It's remarkable that people come to Christ on a regular basis. I think I've counted 10 people in the last three or four months who have told me, hey, I've been coming, I've accepted Christ. And most of you will remember then I've said to you, all right, great. Now, when we have a baptism, Jesus wants you to be baptized. Not to get to heaven, but the Bible says, go and make disciples and baptize them. I expect that our next baptism is going to be a lot of people, right? 
Make that a goal. I'm not going to go, oh, someday I'd like to get baptized um, in Lake Champlain. Right? Just do it. All right? And then regular church attendance. You're like, you're preaching to the choir. Oh, no, I'm not. We can be up and down by hundreds of people every Sunday. So confession of sin, Bible study. Notice, giving. So just set some goals. Like, Lord, I'm not going to just walk away here and be a hearer of the word, not a doer. Two more, we're done. Pray regularly and specifically and help other Christians in their sanctification. So, Lord, instead of just praying for your kids, dear Lord, keep them from all these bad people. Pray for their sanctification. Pray for your spouse's sanctification. Pray for your pastor's sanctification, that, that our leaders, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming. You mean I could pray for people to become more like Christ and more free from sin? Not only can you, make that a prayer. God's not saying, let's fill this church with people. Well, let's make disciples who are being sanctified. Pray for our church that this will be a holy, godly, growing people who love one another and are wanting to pursue Christ. And by the way, is God going to bring it to pass? Faithful as he had called you, he will bring it to pass. He'll bring what to pass? Your sanctification and mine. He's going to do it, but he wants you and me to be involved. And lastly, if you're, you know, you're going, I don't have any evidence or interest in sanctification, right? but I'm saved. We saw that list of qualities. Peter says this. If you lack these qualities, there's no self-control, no moral excellence. You know, I'm saved, though. I do whatever I want. He goes, if you lack these qualities, one of two things is true. You forgot that you're saved. You have spiritual amnesia. You've forgotten your purification from your sins. Or you need to do something about it. Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. So just ask yourself, Do I have any evidence or interest in becoming like Christ? And if you say, well, I haven't in the past, well, you know what to do. If you do, praise God, let's move forward. We're going to sing one line as we close, because I thought that song was so fitting. Holiness is Christ in me. Let's just renew how much we need the Lord, and let's rededicate ourselves. And if you're not a Christian, come and talk to me or talk to somebody, and we'll tell you how you can be forgiven don't fight against God. Surrender and believe in the Lord. Benjamin, would you lead us and then close in prayer? <laughs>